Um, you know, last week as uh, Pastor Trinity was up here, he gave the, the state of the church state and just explained in 30,000 foot view what we're talking about and what this looks like. And today we're going to do something kind of similar, but I want to spin it a little bit differently. So when you think of the word church, we tend to think of the, the building or the collection of all of us, but as individual members, we each make up the church. So today I'm going to challenge you a little bit about the current condition of your spiritual life and specifically how much of God's word are you bringing into your heart and into your life as you walk through uh, this Christian journey and serve and be a part of and be in our community here at church. And if you are visiting with us or you're online, um, I I promise you that what we're going to uh, talk about today from God's word will be an encouragement to you and hopefully uh, bring about some great value to your life. So would you bow with me and for me as we pray here? God, I just thank you for an opportunity to talk about your word. God, that every time there is no wasting uh, when we spend time in and around uh, the words that you've given us, God, that you have blessed us uh, with great value through what it is we will see in the text. And Lord, may we be inspired to be more like you and to become the people that you've called us to be and someday experience uh, the great blessing that you will when you call us home. So we thank you and praise you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are a Bible-centered church. And if you heard last week, uh, Pastor Trinity mentioned a lot of the values that we have at this church, uh, specifically that we stand on the Word of God. And that will be the direction of this church uh, as long as he's in leadership. And he wouldn't have said this this last week. And I want to say this uh, because I serve on staff here and I get to observe him off the stage. Uh, Pastor Trinity is one of the best organizational leaders that I've ever seen. And he not only is an excellent lead pastor here at this church, but he loves the Lord. And he is resolutely and unwaveringly convicted to spend time in God's word as a church and go that direction. So I want you guys to know that you have a lead pastor here at this church who is committed to God's word as we talk about God's word today. And that is absolutely worth clapping for. Praise the Lord that we have good leadership here at Alexandria Covenant. So what is the most valuable thing in the world? What is the most valuable thing in the world? If you were to go and Google this, which I did, and I found a couple things, the most valuable thing in the world is the International Space Station, which costs $150 billion with a B. $150 billion. Crazy amount. Maybe you're more into electronics. Uh, There was a custom-made iPad I found online that went for $8 million. It had gold encrusted in it, diamonds, and even dinosaur bones. (laughs) Don't know what the the appeal is there, but hey, teach their own. The largest diamond that you could find, if you could find it and buy it, it was recently sold at auction in Hong Kong, went for $71 million and was a 59.6 carat diamond called the Pink Star. Kind of cool, really large diamond. And if you're starting to think, well, what about people? Yeah, people do cost a lot. In fact, if you were the, the Inca people way back when Spanish conquistadors showed up to try to uh, take their land, what you ended up happening was they paid a ransom in gold and silver. I believe this is also in the Guinness Book of World Records for the last king of the Incans for $1.5 billion to the Spanish to get their king back. Kind of crazy amount. And then maybe you think, okay, well, maybe not people is you know, really expensive, but they are. But what about you know, the Bible? The Bible's really expensive because that's what I'm going to talk about today. 
Well, if you happen to own a copy of the first printed book in North America, in mass quantity, the first printed book was called the Bay Book of Psalms. It, if you still had a copy today, it just recently went for auction for $14 million. Yeah, God's Word's pretty expensive, especially when you have one of those original edition ones, you know, that first printed in North America, kind of cool. But today I'm going to talk about a different kind of value. I'm going to talk about the kind of value that really is immune to things like time. It's immune to inflation. In fact, every one of us could own it, and it will not change the great value that it has. We are going to talk about God's Word. So if you have your Bible with me and you would open up to 2 Timothy, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And as you're turning there, just a reminder of the context of where we're at. Uh, Paul is speaking to Timothy. And Paul was a mentor to this young man who was leading the church in Ephesus. And as he was leading, there were things that came up. Of course, Ephesus in that day was full of all kinds of competing worldviews and belief systems. And Timothy had his hands full with a church that just had many people competing for their attention. And so you have this, this master teacher that Paul, uh, who actually learned a lot of his trade from Barnabas when they taught together in Antioch, uh, one of the greatest disciplers in the Bible we don't talk about a lot was Barnabas, who discipled Paul. And then Paul is now doing the same thing with Timothy. And Timothy is going to hear these words that I'm about to read to you in, per, in pertaining to leadership and to life as he leads the church that he was leading. And so this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and it says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, this morning I was looking in my, uh, my Bible at Psalm 119 during some quiet time, and, and this isn't on the screen and, and you don't have it uh, in front of you, but in Psalm 119.72, it says this, the law of your mouth is better to me than a thousands of gold and silver pieces. That the psalmist was reflecting on what God said and how valuable that was in comparison to all earthly riches. Much more valuable. You see, God's word holds incredible value and not just for today, but also for the future for future generations, every generation, every church, every individual who's ever taken on the word of God, taken it seriously and brought it into their lives has been blessed by it. And we are gonna look at a closer examination of what Paul's mentoring words to Timothy on the subject actually meant. So the first thing I wanna point out and highlight is that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. There are questions that you have to wrestle with because as you read the Bible, uh, you have to answer these kinds of questions in your mind. Well, where did the Bible come from, right? Because we want to know about its trustworthiness. Where, where did it come from and, and how did it get to us? Uh, if you've come through Sunday school, I know in different seasons, I've taught classes on this. I know Sheldon Sievert has done as well. And, and we've gone through and laid out where the Bible came from, how we get all 66 books um, that are put together in this one book and why that is, what the different versions mean. And, and we've spent a lot of time, which I don't have today, to go into all that. But I do want to make sense of what it means that this book is breathed out. 
Um, I can tell you one thing. I, this Bible is really meaningful to me. It's one that I write a lot of my notes in. Um, I picked this up at Lifeway when the physical stores were going out of business. It's got a really thick cowhide uh, leather cover on it. I love the feel to it. Um, and it's got like margins in the side so I can write all my notes in it, which is also one of my favorite things, and very thick pieces of paper so it holds all the ink that I put in it and all the things that I'm writing and God's teaching me. And, and, I, and I just love this Bible, but it really didn't come from Lifeway, right? Uh, when, when you go on Amazon and, and you order and then the Amazon man, which is what my kids call the UPS man, uh, when the Amazon man drops it off at your front door, it, it, it really doesn't come from Amazon, right? It came from God. That while physically, sure, you, you pay money and the person who printed it and, and put it together gets it to you via delivery in one way, shape, or form, but, but really, Scripture is breathed out by God, and that shapes how we read it. We know that humans wrote it, and God breathed it. So God's Word is both human and it's also divine. It's a partnership between God's Spirit and between God. So is it man-made? Yes. Is it God-made? Yes, it's both. It's the inspired word of God. So let's look at that a little closely. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Genesis 2, 7, we see in creation, when God was making everything, he did so in, in really personal ways. But one thing he did, which was the most intimate, was how he made mankind. So in Genesis 2, 7, we see what God did with his breath. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Prior to God's breath, humanity was dust. It's dust. But it was the personal and intimate and intentional breath of God breathed into the formation from the dust that God made Adam. God's breath gives life. The fun thing is in scripture, if you go and see how God's spirit, which is many times synonymous with God's breath, when you look in the text at where God's spirit has worked and how God has partnered with people, what you'll notice is there's only one time that the Bible talks about God's spirit working independently of humanity. And that was at creation before God breathed life and brought humanity together. And this is really important because God works through people. If you read from Genesis 2-7 all the way through the rest of the Bible, what you'll notice is anytime God's spirit is mentioned, it's mentioned in relationship to people and God's working in and through people. And this is very important because there's a myth out there that if it's not some kind of crazy supernatural experience, it must not be completely divine. That if it wasn't uh, uh, this, this amazing dream that I had about this thing, or if the Bible didn't just fall from the sky, but, but the truth is God uses people to do divine things. And he did so in the Bible. In fact, humanity doesn't take away the truth claims from what God did. But the next time you hear somebody say something like, well, the Bible has mistakes in it, here's what you can say. Of course it does. It has some mistakes in it. Let me clarify that. I have a high view of the Bible, and our church has a very high view of the Bible as well. And we believe that everything that's written in this book is 100% accurate and inerrant. That every truth claim that God gave through the men who wrote these words down is 100% truth and believable, that we can believe it. But it was written by people. 
In fact, if you go to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses likely wrote Deuteronomy, and you're going through that, and all of a sudden, like, it continues going after Moses died. It's because somebody else came along and finished it, right? There's editorial work. And if you go to Ezekiel chapter one, in the first three verses, you'll notice it switches from first person to third person. Why does it do that? Because somebody else interjected in there too. You see, the entire process of inspiration, God's breathing into human beings who were inspired to write the word of God is inspired. Even the very edits that were made. Pop quiz for you too. Who wrote the book of Romans? So look at Romans chapter 16, verse 22. Kind of sets you up a little bit for this one. Romans 16, verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Kind of fascinating. But we know Paul authored it, right? They were Paul's words, but another person wrote them down. You see, here's my point. It was human and divine. God inspired the entire process of the book that we have in the way it was put together and how we even have it today. Because God's inspiration works through us. And we are messy, aren't we? But God works through people. He chose to from the very beginning. Let's examine how profitable it is. All scripture is profitable, is the statement that is made by Paul. All scripture is profitable. How do you know what the value of something is? Um, I... I would have gotten rid of Facebook a long time ago, especially during COVID, but I, I left it around. I just posted nothing. Um, and, and the main reason why is because I'm kind of addicted to Facebook Marketplace, all right? Um, I love going on Facebook Marketplace. I, I've really gotten into like this hobby of sitting on a tractor and like doing work outdoors. And it's great like, you know, when I'm studying a lot and I'm reading and doing work at church, it's a good like other thing to do that I can just think and kind of be alone. And so so I'm always looking for like tractor parts and, and, and attachments to this thing. And, and I'm glad my wife's not in this service because she might give me a hard time for it. Um, but I, I love doing that kind of stuff. And you know how you know how much something is worth when you go on Facebook Marketplace? You know it's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it, right? So you go on there and someone lists something and you're like, there's no way they're getting that much money for that used piece or whatever. Like it's just, they're, they're not going to get that. And then it'll sit out there for a while and somebody will sponsor it and then they'll have to lower the price. And, and eventually it sells when it gets to about the right price that somebody's willing to pay. And that would determine its value. Well, the same thing is true in our valuation of scripture. We can say that God's word is valuable, but do you really want to know how much it's worth? by how much you're willing to pay for it, by how much time you invest in it, by how much you memorize it, by how much you discuss it and talk about it and sing about it and think about it and, th and filter your entire life through it. That's how you really know how valuable God's word is to you. It's one thing to agree on a price. It's another thing to have to pay the price. And we know that God's word is valuable to us as disciples if we truly do invest the time and effort into it. And as the state of the church was stated last week, we as a church absolutely do believe, and you will see this in all the preaching and all the teaching from here, that we do go all in on the text because that is the most valuable thing that we can say from up front. But the state of the church, because your individuals in the church, the question is, is there a gap between what you agree upon the value of God's word is and the amount of time that you personally invest in it? And that's where I'm going with this. This is a challenge for you. And here's why you should think that way. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. 
God says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it, for, bring, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. There is a 100% chance that an investment of time into God's word will pay off. Think about that for a second. Where else in our lives can we say we can put time, energy, money, effort into it and it'll 100% chance of the time pay off? If that investment actually existed out there financially, all of you would do it. Wouldn't you? If you knew that, hey, if I put money in this thing and it'll double guaranteed in this amount of time, then you do it. There is no such thing as a secure investment. That's why when you meet with a financial advisor or you've ever invested on your own, you realize that there's a risk to it. But there is no risk in putting God's word in your life because it always achieves the purpose for which God sent it. Always, every single time. Whatever you invest in knowing God's word will always pay off 100% of the time. There's nothing else like that in this world. Here's what Paul also says. He says, all scripture teaches us what's right. It teaches us what's right. Um, If you're a parent in this room, you know how this works. Uh, Kids do what they see you do, not what you tell them to do, (laughs) right? They they copy our behavior. In fact, I've oftentimes called my kids uh, mirrors of my own life because they just do the things that I've done and say things that I've said. And um, this sermon has gotten actually really expensive for me because I I tell my kids that I pay them for using them as illustrations. And so um, that's kind of the, the deal that we have. So they reminded me, hey, dad, we're getting older and, and these sermon illustrations will start costing a little bit more. And um, so, so I hope you appreciate this next one because, uh, because I'm, I'm going to have to pay a little bit for this. Um, but here I am with my, my wife. We're sitting at the table having coffee. And this is when my daughters were really little. And they were off in, in the corner playing with their dolls or whatever. And all of a sudden I hear this voice. You look at me when I'm talking to you. You are listening to me right now. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what's coming out of my child over there in the corner? And I turn around and I look over there and she's got all of her dolls lined up and she's just, you know, you are naughty. You need it. And I'm just like, oh, is that what I do? <laughs> like, oh no. But it's true. Like kids, kids do what they see we do because we are impressionable people, right? And so in those moments of, you know, extreme conflict when I had to discipline my children, obviously that made an impression on them, which they then decided to impress on their dolls a little bit later. Um, But we're impressionable people. And things that we see on TV, things that we uh, listen to, things that we read, people we spend our time with, all impress upon us a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of being. Uh, Peer pressure does not go away after you leave school. It just changes, right? It's the same for adults. The people that you spend the most time with are the people that you become like. That's why for me as an adult formation pastor, and you heard Pastor Trinity talk about this, forever I will champion groups here at this church. Because if we can come together as a a church family and, and sit in smaller groups, I mean, I would love to get to know every single person in this room and be in your group. And I would love to have phone calls all week and coffee meetings, but it's just physically not possible. And so I can't know your life for everyone in here. But we all need our lives known by somebody and we need to be in relationship and we need to be in God's word because that impresses something on us. 
And that's why groups are so important because we need that connection with one another. We just do. That's how God wired us. It's that when you're, when you're having that moment and life's difficult, you need that person who knows your life and your job and your family to call you up and say, well, well let me encourage you with this worship song. I'm just gonna text it to you. Or, or I know you're having a rough week. Let me just call and pray for you, right? It's not just the pastor's responsibility. We do this for each other. Ephesians 4, which I'm preaching on on Labor Day Sunday, but it talks about this. It talks about building each other up in love because this is how God wired us. It teaches us, what is right? 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says this. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the kind of stuff that just breaks my heart as a pastor. And frankly, it just breaks my heart as a person who loves God's word and wants to know it well. And here's why. Because are we more concerned about being right or about thinking rightly? Think about that for a second. Are we more concerned, and I ask myself this question all the time, because there are things that I've learned in the Bible that traditions have taught me that I have come to find out, actually, that's not really consistent with what the entire Bible says. And I've had to change the way that I think about things because maybe, in, 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 I've grown up in all kinds of traditions. I grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran, and then I, worked, I went to a, a, a non-denominational church, and then I worked at a Presbyterian church for a while, and I was in uh, the Baptist General Conference for years, and now I'm in a covenant church. But let me tell you one thing. If God's word's not guiding a church, it's going to go off the rails. Just will. Because traditions are not the same as the text. They're just not. We can do different things in different times. And that's why I love this church. I love this church because this church is committed to a reading of God's word that will be consistent with everything we do and say as a believing body of people. And sometimes that brings some conflict (laughs) because I don't always like what the word says. And in those moments, the tension is, well, do I go to a different church because I like what they're saying? Or do I sit with it and ask the question, is this really what God's word is saying? And judge for yourselves. Because I would hope that you wouldn't sit out there and just take everything that I say without looking at God's word and saying, yeah, that, that is true, Pastor. Or, hey, wait, Pastor Dave, you said this, and I'm not sure about that. I want that kind of feedback. I know Trinity does. We want to discuss and know the word because the word is what's right, not always the pastor. But the question is, do I want to be right or do I want to believe right? Here's where scripture convicts us. All scripture convicts us of what is not right right? The scripture is what's meant to convict. Um, this is the dentist for me. I went last week and it's my one every six months and I go and it, you know, it's like two weeks ahead of time. I kind of have to be like, get on my flossing game and, and brush a little harder and, and make sure the day of, I don't drink my coffee and I brush a lot. And then, and then maybe if I go, like I won't get, you know, scolded for, for not flossing and, and, and maybe I won't have a cavity. And, but here's the thing about the dentist. The dentist is not there to harm me. <laughs> Sometimes they hurt me. <laughs> A lot of times I go in and I'm like, I can't eat for like a day now. Thanks a lot. Um, If you're a dentist or a dental hygienist out there, I apologize in advance. I love you, but I have a love-hate relationship because afterwards, you know, my teeth are clean, but then I'm in pain. It's just a thing. But the goal of the dentist is to help you be healthy. And in the process of getting healthy, sometimes it hurts. And pain is not a bad thing when it leads to our transformation. 
And that's why God's word, it convicts us of what is not right. And that's uncomfortable sometimes. I've gone to the text and I've been like, wow, everything I've ever taught or thought about this end times philosophy or this thing about baptism or this thing about communion or, or these traditions I've experienced, maybe this is different than, than what's actually in here. And maybe I need to rethink some things. And that's painful. It's like deconstructing your boat while in it on the lake. <laughs> But the truth is God holds all these things together and he holds us and we can know his word and not be scared about trying to think rightly, even though sometimes that conviction about our behavior, about our lifestyle, about our our thinking of things can just kind of be painful. But God does it for our benefit as much as I hate to admit, so does a dentist, (laughs) right? They want us to be better and to be healthy. And so God does these things for us with conviction. Um, Second Kings 22 verse 13 So if you've been doing the Bible read-through with our church, uh, you've been through the kings, and and we've seen this. But King Josiah in this moment, they're they're rebuilding the temple, and he finds the scroll, right? And so all of a sudden, he finds the scroll, and he's reading it, and he learns something. (laughs) That maybe what we've been doing is not quite what God said to do. And so here's what it says in 2 Kings 22. Um, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that was written concerning us. God's word brings conviction. And sometimes we avoid it for that purpose because we don't want to see that the way we're living is not the way that God said to live. But again, he's not meaning to harm us. It hurts because it brings us to correction. All scripture corrects us on how to get right with God. And this is the purpose of the word, is not just to make us feel bad or shame because we're not living a certain way, but to to reveal to us that we are short of God's gospel truth, of what we need to be right and holy with God. And so we have Jesus Christ, and then we have a lifestyle to live as God's image bearers in this world. And, And to do so means we have to get correct. And that's not always the easy thing to do, but God's word does that. Kind of like um, this, this weekend, we had a little experience. So I was in a youth retreat this weekend. Uh, Moose is what they call it. It's an acronym for like most unbelievable uh, something, something, you, you, and then a camping experience, ultimate urban camping experience. Um, it was, it was really crazy. We spent a lot of time, uh, outdoors with no showers for two days in middle schoolers. And the gym was, uh, 85 to 87 degrees at night with cockroaches, which we found when everyone lifted their mats up on the last day and they're all scurrying around. I'm like, ah, it's awesome. Um, <clears throat> but we, we hit up Valley Fair. We had some amazing worship time. Uh, some kids actually made, uh, first time commitments to Christ in this trip. We had rededications. Like it was just a really sweet time. Um, but if you've ever been around youth ministry, it was, it was all of the highs and lows of youth ministry. Super fun. Um, and, and one of those, those lows was on the bus ride there when, when this happened to us. So, so Pastor Trinity was the bus driver. <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> and he was trying to miss the light pole. And, and like, uh, to his defense, this was actually not in the ditch. It was hung up on the asphalt on, on the side when he was trying to make the turn and literally like, like dug into the asphalt, like the, the cage around the, the motor in the back, like, like stuck in the asphalt because we all tried to get out like, let's get out and push. You know, so we're all there shoving on this thing. And so finally, finally we had to call in a crane to get the church bus out. <laughs> Right, a crane. Like, who does that kind of stuff on youth retreat? And then, if it wasn't embarrassing enough, um, Alexandria Covenants plastered all over it. 
And so like everyone coming by is like seeing this and then we're on the youth retreat. They're like, what church are you from? Alexander Covenant. <clears throat> oh, the ones who got the bus stuck at the, yeah, yeah, that was, that was us. Um, sometimes that happens in life. But when we get adjusted and we, and we get moved off the path, right? Because maybe we do something like make a wrong turn somewhere. The Bible corrects us. It's like a large crane that, that picks us up from the where we were living and moves us into a place of right living with God. That's what the Bible does, is it gives us a way to feel bad about what we did so that we go to him, confess our sin, and then live rightly with him. It's meant to teach us, to train us, to correct us. All these things are what God's word does. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, if you confess your sin to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. God doesn't just leave us in our sin. He gives us a way to get out of it by confessing to one another, by praying for one another, by repenting before God. He doesn't just leave us in this place where we're stuck and hung up and have to be the laughingstock of the entire youth ministry conference. And he doesn't just leave us there. He comes around like that crane and heavy duty at that. And he brings us to a place where we can live rightly with him. And this is the last thing is that all scripture trains us how to stay right with God. It trains us how to stay right with God. This is the benefit to God's word is that once we're, we're going that direction, we have God's word to look at to see, okay, God, what am I gonna do today? What, what do I need to do in order to train my muscle of spiritual living that I can follow you, God, and do what you say that you want me to do and be like your person? You see, taking God's name in vain has nothing to do with a word that you say. When you take God's name in vain, when you literally become part of his family, you become a bearer of his image. So misrepresenting God is actually a more accurate way to understand that. And how do we learn how to accurately represent God? It's by reading his word because it trains us how to do that, how to live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's what God's word gives to us is a way to do that. It helps us to understand that. And really, whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. And if we train our minds and our hearts and our lives by feeding it the word of God, our relationship with God's only gonna grow and it's only gonna get stronger. Psalm 119, nine through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the principle is so clear here. It's that God's word is meant to protect us. It's meant to keep us going his direction. It's meant to guard us, to be a safeguard for our life. That whenever sin creeps in and Satan's trying to tempt us, that God's word is right there, just like Jesus in the desert, to say, hey, this is really what God's word says. It trains us and keeps us on the straight and narrow. And my last illustration, this is an expensive sermon for me, <laughs> my kids here. Uh, my last illustration is this. My, my daughters and I have, um, when they turn about 11, uh, 10, 11 years old, I, I give them each a book, blank book. And we write back and forth to each other all the time in this book. So whenever their birthdays come up, I write in it. When, when memorable things happen in our family and we, we have good you know, family highs and lows, which today I get to baptize all three of my daughters at the baptism, and I will for sure be writing in this book. But this book is just this amazing collection of, of notes that we share back and forth. And, 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 and I, 
I would just never be able to live with myself if I hadn't told my daughters constantly, consistently, here's who you are in Christ. Here's what I think of you. I'm proud of you for following him. And so I write all these things down so they have that. And someday I won't be around it and they'll have that as a memory, but I don't write it for the sake of the book. I write it for the sake of the relationship. And that's what this is. That God wrote us words that we can live by, words that we can know him, to understand him, to be in a love relationship with him. It's about the Bible, but it's not about the Bible. This is our vehicle that gets us into relationship with God, a right relationship where we can thrive and grow and see his promises for the future. And it also makes us right with each other. And so my, my encouragement and really my challenge to you is that if this book is so valuable and you agree with that, are you investing in it? Is, is there a gap between what you actually do with the Bible and what you know about it to be true? Don't let Sunday morning be the only place you hear the word of God talked about. Don't let it be. Spend time talking about it with others. Listen to others. Spend time getting into it yourself. There are more ways in today's day and age to get into God's word than there ever have been in history, ever. It is phenomenal what you can do with just your phone, a podcast, a Bible. You can get into God's word in incredible ways. So do so because he desperately wants to have that love relationship with you. And frankly, it is the most valuable thing that you can do. Would you bow with me as I pray? Um, God, I just, I love you for preserving your word. God, for choosing the individuals you did to both author and edit and write and deliver the many people who died to put this book in our hands. God, to preserve it for future churches and future generations. God, that we have your word and the value of it. And Lord, far be it from us as a people that we would separate our hearts from your word. But may we be people who are deeply diving in and knowing you through the, through the gospel that you gave us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.